Hi, welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. Here I am, Carolyn Glick, and I hope that we make it all into one hour. I'm I'm having today as my guest Mike Duran uh, from the Hudson Institute. Mike Duran is a Middle East specialist, and he's written some really important and incisive work about Iran and about U.S. sanctions on Iran and about the Biden administration in Iran. And uh, what we discovered last week through a series of tweets that was uh, posted on Twitter by a former uh, U.S. State Department official at the Iran desk, uh, Gabriel Noronha, I think his name is, um, is that people who are involved in the negotiations with Iran in Vienna, Americans, Europeans are so aghast at the scope and depth of the concessions that the U.S. delegation led by Robert Malley has already made towards Iran that they wanted to let him know so that he would publish what has already been agreed to, how the United States has already capitulated to the mullahs uh, in the hopes of alerting Congress and maybe getting somebody to do something about it because it's extremely dangerous to the United States and to uh, Israel, obviously, and to global security. Uh, among other things, the United States has agreed to, according to uh, Naronha's report, uh, is full uh, end of sanctions on the office of uh, Ayatollah Khamenei. This was an executive order that Donald Trump signed. And that essentially gets all Iran's terror masters, its most prolific killers, its WMD proliferators, the institutions of the Iranian regime that proliferate weapons of mass destruction and sponsor terrorism uh, out of sanctions. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps that the Trump administration designated rightly as a foreign terrorist organization is supposed to get off the list. All told, the sanctions waivers or sanctions cancellations, abrogation of US sanctions against Iran uh, in this deal are going to add up to about $90 billion of automatic money to Iran in the immediate term, and then another 50 to $55 billion a year uh, to Iran, depending on the price of oil and gas, of course, uh, in revenues from their oil and gas sales, because of course, there'll be no sanctions on their energy sector either. So these things are gonna be going forward. So is uh, the end of nuclear restrictions on Iran's nuclear uh, program beginning in 2025 and then completely abrogated by 2030. All of this all told tells us two things. One is that the, that the Obama, I was gonna say that the Biden administration is essentially greenlighting Iran's nuclear weapons program, whether it's by 2023 or 2025 or 2030, it really doesn't matter. The Biden administration is giving American legitimacy, not to mention UN Security Council legitimacy to an Iranian nuclear arsenal. And they're enriching Iran in a manner that essentially guarantees war. Um, so these are the details that we've already learned about the nuclear deal. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to you First of all, you guys can see Mike Durancy. I'm not lying. He's actually here. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. You just said it all. You just said, I just it, all. said it all. No, but I want to talk to you because I thought it was important to put out the details, first of all, of the deal, and then discuss the whys and wheres and the implications of the deal. So I want to open it up for you, first of all, and ask you why. Why would the Biden administration do this? I mean, they continuously say, even as late, we're, we're taping this on Monday. Uh, Monday afternoon, Secretary of State Tony Blinken met with Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, and he said, we oppose the idea of an Iran armed with nuclear weapons. Why are they saying this and doing the other thing? And what are they trying to do? So now I'm opening it up to you. 
Thanks. Thanks. It's a it's a it's a pleasure to be here. And I think that's the the single most important question. Um, and I, I think it's important not to look at this the way a lot of analysts do and think that they're naive, the, the Americans, or misguided, don't under, you know, got got uh, bamboozled in the got bamboozled in the shuk by the clever negotiators, uh, those those Iranians, you know, they invented chess and they're really good negotiators and they just negotiated uh, circles around these uh, naive Americans who are, uh, you know, that, that's not what happened. It's not what happened. And you can see it's not what happened because there was no negotiation here. It was a fire sale. The Americans gave away everything from moment one. And look at what look at what happened while they were giving it away. When I say gave it away, the minute they got into the into office, the Biden team, you you made a mistake when you were talking. You said the Obama team. It is the, the Obama team. It is essentially it's the same. It's the same personnel and it's the same same concept. The minute they got into office, they started giving shadow sanctions relief to the to the uh, to the Iranians in the sense that they allowed the, uh, the they allowed the Iranians to export to the Chinese. Um, they turned a blind eye to it. So revenues started increasing significantly. The Iranians attacked Americans, not, not, not attacked proxies attacking, say, like the Houthis attacking the Saudis. They attacked Americans um, in, in Jordan, in Atunf. No response. No response at all. They, 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 they tried they to also, kidnap- They attacked most recently, they attacked the U.S. base in the UAE, right? I mean, that, that was also they, targeted. They, 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 they attacked the, the, the UAE. They attacked, uh, 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 they, they tried to kidnap, uh, I'm not sure if she's an American citizen or with a green card she is, or whatever. She is, she is. Uh, yeah, she's a citizen, right? From uh, in, in, in New York, no response, no, and, and no response. They elected the most hardline of hardline governments that is openly dedicated to destroying Israel and destroying the United States, no response, right? So the, so what, what, this is not naivete, it's a concept. And the, con, the concept is very simply that, that the, the Middle East will be, le, there'll be less conflict, particularly for the United States. But, uh, but they probably believe truly in their, in their hearts that there'll be less conflict in the Middle East if the United States simply accommodates the Iranians in the region. Remember, Obama famously said to the Saudis, you have to learn how to share the region with the Iranians. So the problem is these aggressive Saudis are trying to control all the space in the region and not letting the poor Iranians through the door. If we let them in the door, we show that we're not hostile to them, then there's a significant overlap in Iranian and US interests. And together, we, the Iranians and the Russians, the Russians can stabilize the region. So they have a, a view of middle of the Middle East that is a kind of a concert system where the US, the, the, the Russians and the Iranians are all working together. And that's why what they're doing is they're negotiating over the heads of the Israelis, over the heads of the Saudis, over the heads of the Emiratis with the Iranians as if the Iranians are a great power that's just looking for a little bit of respect and once it gets that respect, everything will be fine. But why do they uh, think that? It's going to fail. But I don't understand why they think that. Because, I mean, how can a semi-sentient American think that a regime that calls death to America and has been doing so every single day for the past 43 years be a partner for the United States? How can they think that the, the most prolific 
the most prolific sponsor of terrorism in the entire world, a country that's responsible for proxy wars through their through their foreign legions and you know four different countries against the U.S. and its allies. How can they come up with a conclusion that it, Iran is a better partner for the United States than Israel or the Saudis or the UAE or Egypt? What is the basis of their? How are they thinking this through? What what are they seeing when they look in the mirror as American policymakers that makes them think that this makes sense? There's 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 two or three aspects to it. And one is domestic politics. And let's get to that, because in some ways, I mean, let's get to that in a second, because in some ways, I think the domestic politics is actually more important than the actual foreign policy. So they created a whole foreign policy uh, uh, theory in order to serve their domestic politics. But, but but let's just examine the theory uh, the theory for a moment. It's kind of like you know is uh, there's a, there are lots of Israelis, particularly in the security establishment, who have a nostalgia for Assad the father, uh, and they kind of like the Assad regime. Uh, you know you, you 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 talk to them, they say, well, okay, the Assad regime it has you know it has its ugly side, but our border our border in the north has never was never quieter than with the Assad. We cut a deal with them on the border. We were never going to have peace with them, but at least we had, you know, we, we could we could come to an arrangement with them. The belief among the 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 um, uh, what I would call the realignment crowd, the the those people who want, and it's not simply Democrats, by the way. It's it it there there are it that view that we can find a strategic accommodation with the Iranians is more dominant among the, uh, the it, it dominates or predominates among the um, the Democrats, especially the progressives, but it exists on the Republican side as well. If you I go mean, back to the- Your former boss, Condoleezza Rice, was trying to reach a grand deal with the Iranians uh, in negotiations with them uh, in Iraq. Um, that that at the time that Iran was running a, an insurgency against U.S. forces in Iraq and killing them by the hundreds. Exactly. If you if you go back to 2016 when the when the JCPOA was completed and you look at all of the statements of Republicans, there's a certain kind of Republicans. Another one would be Bob Gates, former Secretary of Defense, who who said about the deal the following. They said. It's a terrible, horrible deal. It's really badly negotiated. I would never have negotiated such a bad deal, but, right? And then the only thing that matters in that sentence is what comes after the but. All of the, all of the throat clearing and caveats and all that, that's just to say, okay, I'm on the other political team, but, and, uh, and, and, then, you, and, and then you get it. So there's, 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 a, there's a significant amount of that or not a not insignificant amount of that on the Republican side, but but the uh, uh, it's it predominates on the the progressive side, and they they believe what what they listen to are the, the Iranians are li like the Syrians they're very good at looking you in the eye, and saying, you know, Carolyn, you and I we we understand each other we're you know, we're, we're men and women of the world. You know, you've got your hardliners. I got my hardliners. Okay, we have. To, I have to pay lip service to the nonsense that they believe, but we we can cut a deal. Um, and so the 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 Iranians are very good 
at talking to Americans like that. And there's a certain part of the Americans, particularly the national security elite, that uh, resents Israel, resents the influence that Israel has, its ability to go over the heads of, uh, uh, of, the, of, the, of the national security um, uh, experts and go right to the people of, in the United States. And, and, who, and they also see themselves as very sophisticated, Un unlike, let's say, Zionist Americans, whether they're Jewish Zionists or evangelical Zionists, those are those are not people who are working with their heads. They're working with their emotions. But me, I am a national security professional. I have uh, I am the steward of the national interest, and I can cut it. And I realize that you know it's a big, bad, nasty world out there with lots of ugly characters, and you got to live. You got to learn to live with them. And the Iranians are people that we can make a deal with, even though they're nasty sons of bitches. But but I mean. I can see that there's also, like you said, there's a lot of that going on in Israel too among our security brass. And I certainly saw it when I was in the negotiations with the Palestinians in the 1990s that there's a sense that, oh, you know, we're the men who do the dirty business of our side and we can get right. together and we can make a meeting of the mind as, as, you know, fighters or intelligence officers or something like that. And then the people are so excited at the concept that there are Palestinians on the other side who can talk their language that they forget that these Palestinians who are talking their language are terrorists who, who learned their language, in this case Hebrew, when they were sitting in Israeli prisons on terror charges or convictions. So that, you know, they don't, they they were, they lost their heads with a wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, we all get it. We all understand. We have our secret handshakes as, as intelligence officers or or, or military commanders when they weren't military commanders to begin with, they were terror commanders. And so the, you're, you're right. I mean, I think that that exists regardless of how somebody feels about Israel, whether they have, you know, and whether they don't like Jewish people in particular, whatever it happens to be, or they don't like, you know, all of the, the podunk uh, preachers from, uh, from South Carolina or, or, or Texas coming in and, and telling them what to do or rabbis from New York. I mean, it, it's it's like they just think that they can be part of a fraternity. I mean, it's like a fraternity mindset, you know. And 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 you feel sophisticated. You're right. part of a very sophisticated cool. world. And you're cool, cool, and world worldly. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're you're not parochial. Um, the uh, and, and appeals also to the brain because you think you're you know you think you're really clever. You're very you're very you're you're, you're extremely clever. Um, I was going to say something else when you were talking it came to my mind. Uh, I, I lost it. I lost it. It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. So but that's one thing. And then there's the domestic part. And and like you were saying, I mean, today, domestic politics, I think Jake Sullivan made a statement not too long ago, the national security advisor that essentially said that uh, from from the Biden administration's perspective, uh, domestic and 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 foreign policy are, are one and the same. Yeah, he said that back in the during the during the transition. I think it's true. Um, let me add before we get to the domestic stuff. Let me just add one more uh, point on the foreign policy side. There is a strong sense, um, and throughout the American system now, um, there, there's a current of opinion that says the Middle East doesn't matter that much anymore. The real game is in East Asia. So there is, there, there is, this is also part, uh, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but it's, it should never be forgotten. This is part of, of a downsizing, right, of the American role 
in the uh, in the Middle East. And so but, the, I mean, the, that's been going on. America's been trying to downsize its role in the Middle East for a long time. And and again, I, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the Trump administration, but Trump wanted to downsize America as well. So what did he do? He tried to shovel off as much responsibility for keeping the Middle East stable on U.S. allies, on Israel well, that's the, and, that's and the, on, that, on that's, the UAE and that's Saudi. The, that's the smart way to do it. That's the smart way to do it. That's the you 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 uh, you give more responsibility to the allies. You put them out front. The Israelis showed what they can do on the ground in Iran, sabotage of the uh, nuclear program. You support that, and you support it with extended deterrence. So when the Iranians try to come back with their proxies, you kill Qasem Soleimani, and that's uh, uh, that's that's a great that 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 mech, that um, that arrangement. Uh, you know, of uh, the, um, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, you know, um, your subcontract assignment, your... the assignment of the, the assignment of tasks, you know, it hadn't completely worked itself out, but you know, if Trump had had more, four more years, we would have gotten to a good place with it, I think. But the, 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 the Democrats, the progressives have an alternative idea. And that is that they, they say it openly. Uh, both Jake Sullivan and Rob Malley have foreign affairs pieces before the uh, administration came into um, uh, uh, came into power. It's essentially the same foreign affairs piece written differently, uh, which says explicitly in black and white that the extremist agendas of America's allies are driving it into conflict with Iran. So, in other words, Israel is the problem. They don't say Israel because they're they're smart. They're politically smart. They know that they're going to make a make themselves a target if they say Israel is catapulting us into conflict with Iran. But that's what they think. So that's why they they want to make the deal with Iran over the heads of the uh, of the Israelis. So I, does the Israel is the problem get us to the domestic politics, or is it still in the realm of foreign policy? Well, it's both. It's both. They 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 have developed a foreign policy. Um, uh, a foreign policy doctrine that Israel is the problem, or let's say the allies are the problems, and that the, the Saudis, you know, are clearly part of the problem. And the administration came in and it beat up the Saudis, and that that was, you know, in the uh, in the that was partly because they they wanted to beat up the Saudis, but it was also the like the the old uh, uh, Chinese saying of you know you kill the chicken to scare the who is it to scare the monkeys. Right. So they killed they were they were they were beating up on MBS in order to scare the Israelis uh, It because because Israel has such legitimacy in domestic American politics. You have to go at the Israelis. You can't. It's hard to go at the Israelis directly. You have to go at them at an angle. Um, uh, in order to pretend that you really, because you really care about Israel, you really care about Israel's security. And, and Carolyn, we really don't want Iran to get a nuclear weapon because because we care about uh, uh, about Israel. So that's always part of the rhetoric, but the actions tell you otherwise. And also in the case of MBS and going after him, and I saw today, you know, in, in response to this weird Axios piece, it says that Biden may, you know, have a coming to Damascus only in Riyadh moment and go to Riyadh and 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 uh, ask the Saudis to pump more oil um, that, that that's that's pure that's that's pure that's pure um, uh, communications like a, a, a what would you say uh, you know a, a it's it's a it's an Iran deal uh, fallout management so they're going to go and pretend to love the Saudis 
And they're going to pretend that the problem with the Saudis is not that they're empowering Iran, which has taken over the whole uh, uh, Arab world. Uh, and they're going to say, no, no, we care about your security, just like we care about the UAE security. UAE has been hit with three ballistic missiles recently. And what was the message from the United States? Oh, uh, those Houthis, not the Iranians. We don't blame the Iranians. We blame the proxy. Those Houthis shouldn't do that. We really we, we, we find that, uh, you know, reprehensible. And UAE, we're here for you. How are we here for you? Well, we're going to hug you. We're going to love you. We'll help you have missile defense systems that will shoot down those. Well, only only patriots, though, because they told Israel not to sell UAE. No Iron Dome. Uh, no, no Iron, iron no, Dome. I mean, they, they're, no iron dome. They're, they're actually giving them a, a, a worse uh, missile defense system and getting involved with that to prevent, at the same time that they're pushing Israel to give Iron Dome to, to Ukraine and get Israel messed up with uh, Russia, they're telling Israel that it can't sell Iron Domes to the UAE, but that's a that's a separate issue. But all I wanted actually, to say, about it, sorry, can I can I interrupt there? Sure. I, I I don't think it's an entirely separate issue. The bashing of Israel over Ukraine is part of the selling of the Iran nuclear deal. So wait, let's but, get but, to that in a second because all I wanted to say, the only point that I had wanted to make about the Saudi oil and the Saudi this is that. You know, Saudi was demonized during the during the uh, campaign. Kamala Harris said to a, uh, an audience, which later it turned out that there were a lot of Iranian regime agents in the audience. I think it was in Michigan that the U.S. was going to redo its uh, relationship with Saudi Arabia after the Biden administration came into office. And they were making all of these, I mean, being anti-Saudi was a staple of their election campaign. And it was very clear from my perspective that this was in fact anti-Israel because what they were doing totally was demonizing totally. Israel's the 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 anchor of the Abraham Accords, the most important Arab actor in the fight against Iran. And and the and by doing this, they were also undermining the Abraham Accords and destabilizing the burgeoning operational alliance between Israel and the Sunnis in the Gulf. So one one I'm in 100 percent agreement with you. And I wish that more friends of Israel in the United States saw that as clearly as you do. Well, it's because hard they, because there have been so many switches in the way that these regimes have been behaving since the Arab Spring. Right. I mean, after 9-11, all of us became scholars of Wahhabi uh, Islam and the relationship between Hassan al-Banna and Ibn al-Saud and how, and of course, 15, 15 out of 19 of the hijackers were Saudi and the other four were Egyptian. So, the, I mean, there was a lot of reason to look at Saudi Arabia as the biggest problem here. But then, you know, they changed their tune on the Muslim Brotherhood and on al-Qaeda after, after the Arab Spring threatened to bring down the regime. So, I mean, Things have been in flux in a very major way over the past eight years, right? Yeah. Can I can I offer uh, what I think is the simplest? Um, I, I do want to get to the domestic politics. I also want to talk about the about the beating up of Israel over yeah, Ukraine. Because in Ukraine, but it's very important. But the, the but the simplest thing. It's the simplest thing because I, I think Americans in general, uh, including pro-Israel Americans, have lost sight since 9/11 of something really simple. And that is the biggest dividing line in the Middle East is not between um, radicals and moderates or secular and religious or Sunni and Shiite 
or um, or uh, uh, Persian and Arab, what any of the any of the kind of binary um, oppositions that people uh, offer, forget those. Right? There's there's two dividing lines. There's there's one dividing line. It's the dividing line between those states that can accept. They don't necessarily love, but they can accept the American security umbrella, and those states that want to destroy it. That's the key dividing line. And the states that can accept the American security, uh, of those that can accept the security umbrella, there are three that matter more than any other. And though they are Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey. The, and then, then the ones that want to tear it down are led by, uh, is, is led, the, 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 the group that wants to tear it down is, is Iran and the, and, the, and the groups aligned with, uh, uh, with Iran. And what is what is so wrong with the uh, with the nuclear deal is that the Biden administration is trying to cut a deal with the very group that wants to the, the very or, or the very state that wants to destroy the U.S. system in uh, in the region. So and in that fact, really it's does, so, but it's wait, so. But doesn't that sort of bring us to to domestic ideology? Because the idea that the people who oppose you are the best people to make a deal with are the best people to partner with is sort of, I mean, it's very much part of the anti-American view that we're seeing expressed in progressive politics, right? That, that the United totally. States Absolutely. is evil. So if you want a stable world, then the way to do it is to empower America's enemies against the United States and its allies, because anybody who sides with America must, by definition, be as bad as the United States is. I mean, it sounds insane, I, uh, but, but that it necessarily follows. If the United States is evil, everybody who likes the United States must also be evil. Everybody who is like the United States must be evil. And therefore, if you want a good world and you want a stable world, then you go with a bad guy. You go with America's enemies. I, I, I basically I basically agree with everything you said. I, I would um, uh, I, I would formulate it slightly differently. Um, but but no, okay, I will I do it, but we don't need to get into all the nuances uh, nuances of it. But the if we just start it from from not not from a foreign policy argument, but from domestic politics, progressives, and that's who we're talking about here. We're not talking about mainstream Democrats. So your guy guys like Blinken and guys like Sullivan, they live in two worlds at once. They know you, you know when I talk to my my mother's a Democrat. My mother's a Democrat. My mother, my mother hates evangelicals. My mother hates every hates George W. Bush, whom I worked for. It was great. It was very painful for her. If I say to my mother, "Mom, the Democratic Party believes that a person with a penis can be a woman," right? She'll tell me, "Mike, you're crazy. They don't believe that. Who believes that? That's nonsensical. Nobody would. No, no, nobody would believe that." So. There's a ton of Democratic voters out there that are very distant from progressive dogmas, right? And so guys like Blinken and Sullivan, they live in both worlds simultaneously. And they know how to talk to my mother in ways that reassure her so she can say, now, Mike, the things you think about those, those progressives, you're, you're just crazy, Mike. You've been, you've been brainwashed by George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. They tied you in a, in a chair and they uh, and they and they 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 filled your head with all this with all this nonsense. So these guys, they they 
their enemy, the progressives, their number one enemy are the evangelicals in the United States, security-minded Republicans, people, people like, like, uh, like me, Zionists of all stripes. In fact, we all know progressives really have a big problem with Israel. They don't like Bibi Netanyahu, and they don't like Mohammed bin Salman. Those are all that's a, that, that's their that's their uh, you know from from Mike Pompeo to Bibi uh, 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 to um, uh, to to Bibi Netanyahu to Mohammed bin Salman. This is their uh, th this is their the cast of evil characters in their mind. So what they have done, they, they hate these people anyway. Forget about foreign policy. So now they have created a foreign policy doctrine that says that is the party of war. Those are the people that are that are creating conflict for the United States in the Middle East, but also conflict in the Middle East. And then what happens is, is Iran doesn't become the party that's the good, the party of good or the party of peace, but it becomes the object of diplomacy, which is what we believe in. We believe as progressives, we believe that we have an alternative way to deal with conflict in the world other than the war that the right-wing people uh, um, uh, uh, propose. And even deterrence, the traditional military deterrence is just a slippery slope to war. But we have an alternative way through diplomacy to arrive at, 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 to arrive at agreements and accommodations with these actors and to show them that we're not as hostile to them as they, as, as, as they think we are. And that's where all of this comes from, this, this, this nuclear deal. The nuclear deal creates a picture of the Middle East that says there's the party of war, which is everybody that the progressives hate in, uh, in any case, and then the object of diplomacy, which is Iran and Russia. But see, I mean, it, it, it makes it impossible, practically speaking, to have a debate, to have a discussion, right? Because to arrive at that point, you have to deny reality. I mean, you, you have to disregard mountains of evidence to show the Iranian regime's malign actions, malign intents towards the United States, towards humanity. In order to co go on, proceed with his plan of negotiating with the mullahs, Obama needed to pretend away the Green Revolution, where they killed thousands of their own people in the streets. And, and he did. So you look at, I mean, the people that they are removing sanctions from, Ibrahim Raisi, the so-called president of Iran, you know, he, he killed 5,000 people in like a year in 1988. Women, children, men tortured them to death, raped them, personally oversaw their execution. And since then, he's been the regime's hangman. Ayatollah Janati the same. These people are getting sanctions removed from them. I mean, you see a callousness, but it's not just a callousness. And this is what so makes you despair, right? Is that they don't care about reality. You, know, you can present them with, I wrote about this in, in Newsweek. I mean, Israel can present them with mountains, the height of Mount Everest, you know, of evidence that proves that Iran is developing nuclear weapons and that it wants to annihilate Israel and the Sunnis and the United States, and they don't care. And, and that makes it impossible to have a, a discussion with them about anything. Yeah, it, it, it is two different uh, cosmologies, basically. And uh, you, you, um, we can't convince them 
But I think what we can do is talk to my mother. You know, we can talk to the average Democratic voter um, and we can explain what where where their ideas lead, where these actions lead. I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the polling, the first polling to come out on the deal. And the, the vast majority of Americans, that's Democrats and Republicans, think that this deal is a bad deal. Uh, the American people don't like, uh, they, you know, they, they don't trust Iran. They don't trust the Iranian regime. There's no, they, they see it more or less the way, uh, uh, the way you do. And so if you want to look for a little bit of optimism, and I, I mean, I'm not, there's, uh, there's not, uh, I'm not particularly optimistic at this point, uh, because these guys have three years left, and they are clearly, clearly dead set on following this. Um, there, there, there is, you know, there is a, an electorate out there that can be convinced. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that there is an Israeli government with a with a, with a, with a significant military uh, that that despite their failure, and I, I think you've written about this. I think written about it very effectively that this government has not um, expressed its true views uh, openly to the American people. This Israeli government uh, uh, clearly, um, and that's unfortunate. But they know. Gantz, Lapid, and Bennett, to a man, they know that that uh, that this policy is going to lead to something very, very bad, and that they cannot cut a deal with the Iranians. And so, uh, I, I'm hoping to see, um, uh, you know, I'm hoping to see Israel um, uh, carry out some more uh, unilateral policies with respect to Iran, um, and that will send the greatest possible message. Uh, to those Americans who need to be woken up uh, about the um, about the mistake that their government is making. Well, I mean, one point on that is that you know when you're not. Uh, well, let me just go back. You, we were, we alluded to something that I wanted to spend more time discussing, which was how the United States is entrapping Israel, and so one of the problems with this deal is that it legitimizes Iran and it legitimizes its nuclear weapons program, and it legitimizes its uh, its regional uh, terror wars by, by giving it a carte blanche to do whatever it wants and, and to turn it into the object of diplomacy, to turn it into America's rising partner in the region that the Biden administration will do anything for, including humiliate itself, including breaking its own laws. And it is. And- yeah. And so, you know, you, you look at this and you say, well, you know, Israel, uh, it, Netanyahu argued today, Monday, in a statement in the Knesset that this government's quiescence on the Iran deal and how dangerous it is, and all they do is they suffice to say, well, it's not going to, it's not going to commit Israelism, Israel isn't a party to this agreement, and it's not going to have anything to do with us. Well, if you have the UN Security Council behind a deal and I can see the Biden administration easily anchoring this in a chapter five Security Council resolution. And Israel goes in and blows up Nantans or Isfahan or Fordo or Qom uh, nuclear installations. Um, it could find itself in really hot water with the Security Council, right? I mean, if, if you're- uh, Absolutely, so absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about how the deal itself, forgetting- you know, forgetting the political machinations and the manipulations of the Biden administration, which we'll get to afterwards, but how does the deal itself entrap Israel? 
Well, uh, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen exactly. You know, the the Iranians have demanded of the Americans guarantees that the Americans can't reverse themselves again uh, as they did under Trump on this. Well, let me um, just let me just say there. So I, I feel like that might be a little bit of a red herring in the sense that the Biden administration will be leaving office in 2025. And uh, I mean, if they leave office in 2025 and that, and at that point, you know, most of the nuclear, uh, most of the nuclear limitations under the JCPOA will have expired anyway, so that it won't including matter. The, including snapbacks, including it, snapback at the so, UN. Uh, yeah. so, no, so, but I, I am, I will be, I, I, one of the things I will be curious to see when it comes out is what kind of what kind of mechanisms there's no by our system of government there's no way that the us can't reverse itself i think but i will be interested to see what kind of uh you know contortions this the the administration has gotten into in order to get as close to the iranians uh, to get as close to a guarantee as possible and i i i am i am i am waiting to be amazed at the creativity and the amount of man hours that will have been gone into this uh, you know, more than anything, any other, any other issue that they've been working on. And my mind is not clever enough to explain exactly what those are going to be. So we have to wait and see. But basically, the, the, the thing is, the, America, the United States government becomes the de facto guarantor and protector of the Iranian nuclear weapons program. That's what this that's that's what this deal does. In addition to all the things that you mentioned at the beginning about all the money the hundreds of billions of dollars that are going to flow into the coffers of this regime. The, uh, the, the United States is now committed to it. You see, look at the negotiations going on with the Russians right now. We had to have, you say, you know, we humiliated ourselves. You're referring to the fact, I presume, that in Vienna, the, the, the Iranians refused to sit down with us face right. to face. So instead, we had to have mediation from the Russians. At the same mo moment when Biden is, uh, is speaking rhetorically, you know, in the State of the Union address, as if we're in a Cold War with the Russians, we're actually cutting a deal with the Russians on the nuclear uh, question, which includes sanctions relief for the Russians, because the, because the, because the, uh, because a lot of the program is going to the the the, the Iranian program is going to be um, is going to be directly protected by the Russians. You know, the 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 Iranians are going to take their uranium stockpiles and move them to Russia, for example. That's going to be done through contractors. We're going to have to have carve outs in sanctions for the Russians uh, uh, to do this. If we start putting uh, sanctions on the Russians for Ukraine that the Russians don't like, the Russians can start playing games with us on the nuclear thing and say, well, that, you know, the, the, we, we, can't, we can't tolerate that. And so therefore we're not going to be able to, um, we're not going to be able to work with you on the Iranian nuclear question. And they're going to be able, in other words, they're going to turn the new, their position in the nuclear negotiations or the nuclear system, the nuclear regime, the Iranian nuclear regime, they're going to use that position in order to have a position of leverage over us. So we're not just empowering the Iranians, we're also empowering the we're, we're, we're also empowering the Russians. That's one of the ways in which we're going to uh, we're going to give a quasi guarantee to the uh, um, uh, uh, to the Iranians that we can't get out of this deal because there will well, be I mean, a, in a way of, you did. You, you had that already in 2015, right? I mean, that that 
that the, the French and the Germans and the British refused to acknowledge that uh, Iran was in breach of the deal to force implementation of the snapback sanctions. So you're saying that here they're just, you know, uh, Russia is, is, I mean, Russia was also uh, uh, able to be in that position, but I mean, it, it you're saying that this also just keeps Russia in it's the more, picture. It's I mean, more of the, yeah, it's more the same. It's more of the same. Keeps Russia in the big in, in the picture, but it just shows that we've gotten diminished with respect to Russia as well. If we want this deal, if we want this deal. How about American position? I mean, I, I think that it could be used by Blinken and Biden at all. You know, that they say to Israel, you know, we can't help you, uh, we can't give you uh refueling aircraft because then we will be endangering the Iranian nuclear deal. I mean they can say use it as an excuse also to prevent Israel from uh from buying or 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 procuring otherwise the means to actually take action against Iran's nuclear installations. So Absolutely right, and they're gonna they're gonna argue that the that the that the commitments that the Iranians have made in this deal to keep their uh, to keep uranium uranium enriched to whatever level they have decided, and to keep the stockpiles at whatever level they have decided, they're gonna argue that this actually blocks Iran's pathway to a bomb. And they're going to argue that Israel's efforts to destroy the, the, the program are endangering that incredibly wonderful safeguard that the, that the Biden administration negotiated with the, uh, with the, with the help of the Russians. Uh, unfortunately, the Israeli government, by claiming that maximum pressure of Donald Trump uh, was the, was the uh, or if not the government itself, the friends of this Israeli government, uh, have argued that this was the greatest disaster ever for well, the prime security. minister has said it also. I mean, he yeah. said, that yeah, so they unfortunately they have not set up the predicate with the American public and with their own public, frankly, for arguing uh, as, uh, why this deal is such a disaster. But that's the reality of the situation. So how else is in you were let, let's go for a second to Ukraine, right? I mean, they had this uh, Bennett, who's who's ostensibly an Orthodox Jew, uh, flew to Moscow on Shabbat to mediate the uh, crisis, the war between Russia and Ukraine. And needless to say, you know, it's huge headlines in Israel, and it was not that big news outside of Israel. And it's largely been forgotten. But I mean, I said in initially, I said, well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And the details of the deal had just, you know, with Iran had just been leaked and Lavrov said something. He said that, you know, we're not going to agree to the deal if uh, the sanctions you're placing on us are going to apply as well to our operations in Iran. And um, so it, it seemed to me that if Bennett decided that he wanted to go meet with Putin to see if there was a deal to be made uh, that would, you know, uh, the, with uh, with Russia on Ukraine, that would end Amer and or mitigate Russian support for the deal, that that would be a deal that any Israeli prime minister would be stupid not to try to make. But that's not at all what he did. I mean, he went there to try to mediate somebody else's war. Uh, and it was, at best, completely insignificant, and at worst, deeply dangerous to to Israel, because we put our knows someplace where it absolutely does not belong. But I mean, there is this sense that this weird American pressure on Israel that we should be providing, uh, uh, we should be providing Iron Dome batteries to the Ukrainian military. 
and that uh, Israel needs to take in Ukrainian non-Jewish refugees when you know every country in Europe is accepting them. That there's a rat that we smell it, and we're and you know it's 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 a strange game that the United States is playing. How how do you explain it? But uh, let, let's go back for a second. Uh, I never finished uh, what I wanted to say about Saudi Arabia and this trip that uh, that the uh, that the Biden is. You're going to link them together, right? Because I'm uh, going to link them together. It's okay, the so same. Then I'm going to be quiet the, for a while and let you explain. It's the same. Uh, okay, but but you could be quiet. But you can't look at your phone. Stop. Stop. I'm looking at the timer. There, oh, is the thing. Oh, I don't want. I'm trying to. Okay. I'm trying to keep us on pace. Sorry. You, you have to. You have to look like you're fascinated by my every word. Okay? I am fascinated by your every word. I don't want to go uh, too uh, far over the the, the hour long limit. The, the, no. The uh, the they're going to go to the Saudis, and they're going to demand that the, the they're going to they're going to show the Saudis. Oh, we love you. We don't have a problem with you because of you know we we don't have a problem after this, after we screwed you like you wouldn't believe with this Iran deal. And oh, by the way, will you reduce the, the oil your, 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 uh, or will you increase your, um, your oil production so you can reduce the price? They know the Saudis are going to say no. They've asked the Saudis this 17 times. It's not in the Saudi interest to do this. Now the Americans are going to bring Iranian oil on the market and then go to the Saudis and say, bring down the price even further after we've uh, after we brought Iranian oil. The Saudis are going to say no. It's a communication strategy because they want to go back to their own public, back to all those progressives who hate Saudis and who hate fossil fuels. And they want to say and they want to say to the American electorate, uh, they want to say to the progressives, look, the Saudis are to blame. And they want to say to the American electorate in general, those high prices you're paying for oil are not the result of our stupid green energy policies. It's because of the Arabs. The Arabs are doing this. Uh, are, are doing this to us. So they're just setting up the Saudis, you know, to blame them while, while pretending to hug them. They're doing the same thing to the Israelis. There's there's this. On the one hand, like I said, there's this this quasi Cold War policy supposedly toward uh, uh, toward the Russians in Ukraine. But it doesn't extend beyond the borders of uh, beyond the borders of Ukraine. In the Middle East, we're cutting a deal with the Russians and the uh, and the Iranians. I mean, the uh, um, the spokesperson for the spokesman for the State Department in the same sentence called called Russia a pariah state and said, "But we're still negotiating with it on the Iranian uh, on on the Iranian nuclear deal." So clearly, in the Middle East, it's not a pariah. Now, what does that mean? It means that the United States has put the Russians on Israel's border. It was Obama who did that in 25, uh, 2015, 2016. And uh, um, he put the Russians there. And when they started pulverizing cities, he famously said, the Russians are in a quagmire. They don't, re they don't represent any problem for, uh, for the, the United States. So from the Israeli point of view, the US absented itself entirely from the Syria question and gave the Israelis no, no choice but to negotiate with the Russians in order to in order to get the minimum that they need in order to combat the Iranians in uh, in, in, in in Syria, that ha that hasn't changed, and this new policy of uh, of invigorating the Iranians and working with the Russians to do it only makes that problem in Syria that much bigger. Add to that the fact that there's a large Jewish population in Russia and so forth. The Israeli government cannot afford to alienate the Russian government. It can't. And it's it was put in that position by the United States government, by Obama and reinforced by, uh, by Biden. At the same time, 
this government especially, which is hanging on by, a, you know, the, this Israeli government hanging on by a, the narrowest of narrow uh, margins, it can't afford to get in a massive fight with the, with the Americans because they can topple it. If they're toppled, then Bibi Netanyahu comes back and they, they you know, uh, uh, um, Bennett's yeah, career is over. But that's, but that's their biggest argument towards the United States saying you can't, you can't hang us out to dry because if you hang us out to dry, we're going to fall and Bibi is going to come back. So that this is true. a double-edged it's, sword. It's right? a double-edged sword for, for sure. But, but no matter how you argue it, they want to get along with Washington. They don't want to. They don't want to get in a head-to-head -head fight with it. But so Washington has targeted it and saying, "Israel on Ukraine, you're a bad ally," and they're eager to say that. They enjoy saying that because they need to sell to the American. They know they know that they have this sale to the American people of this horrible, dopey Iran deal that's coming. But how? So, I mean, what what kind of a stupid thing to say is that? You know, I mean, Israel doesn't border Ukraine. Why on earth, what does that even mean that Israel's a bad ally because we didn't sponsor a Security Council resolution against Russia? I mean, who cares? Oh, Not even a member oh, here's, of the Security Council. Nobody remember, cares. Remember, remember why should anybody care? Why, why would this be convincing? I can see why, what they're, how they're setting up Saudi, right? I mean, I can definitely see that they, that although I don't think that, uh, that, you know, all Americans are that brain dead. I mean, the, the price of oil rose well before Russia invaded Ukraine and, and that was entirely their fault. And it continues Look. to be their fault. They want, they want Iran and Venezuela to pump oil, but not Americans. And I think that that's a very easy argument that the Rus that the Republicans are making all the time, look, you know? Look, 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 but, but you, you just, you just answered your own question though. I'm not saying that these are, I'm not, I, I, I'll explain to you how in one second. I'm not saying that these are, that these are, um, uh, that these are incredibly wise or sophisticated or even uh, winning politics in terms of American dom uh, domestic politics. But here's the dilemma. They're, they live in a system that is dominated by progressives. So the answer to any major problem has to be an answer that's acceptable to progressives. And so they can't, they can't go. They can't go. Uh, they they can't go and unleash the American uh, uh, the American fossil fuels giant. They can't do that because they will lose the progressives. What they can do, and they is are they progressives, go, so that they actually agree yeah, with the progressives, right? They 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 are they are they are progressives, and to, to the extent that they're not, I mean, to the extent that they're not fully progressive, they still understand that they have to keep the progressives happy. So and they and and they understand that the progressives don't like Israel. So they want to say, they want to say that the 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 statement here about Israel is, oh look, Israel wants us to go save it, wants to go to war for it against Iran, but it won't even lift a finger for Ukraine. Now the the average American hasn't followed Syria closely to understand the kind of dilemmas that American uh, courtship of Iran in the region has placed Israel before. Was that a sentence? It was, wasn't it? it did, did that but the sense? thing is, no, I get you, The average American doesn't know what he's talking about, but th that's, and and how how malign America's role in the Middle East has been towards Israel. And that's true, but I think it's- But, the but they are- The argument but, is but, stupid anyway, because the United States has no interest and no plan of going to war against Iran for Israel. To the contrary, you know, it's going to war against Israel for Iran. You know, I mean, it just- no, but it's, th these are the images that these people have in their heads, and they're playing to those images, as goofy as they are.
All right. So so they're they're entrapping Israel by pretending that we're terrible on Ukraine and the Israeli left at least is buying it and wants to bring thousands of Ukrainians to who are not Jewish and, to Israel to prove our good intentions towards uh towards Ukraine and against and against Russia. So Bennett is on a Bennett is caught. He's got he 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 has to get along with with, with Bennett actually wants to do something about the Iranian nuclear program. Every Israeli uh, in leadership, wants to do something about Iranian precision-guided weaponry in Iran, um, in, in Syria, in, in Syria and Lebanon, and they know that they have a, uh, they know that they need they uh, at least a wink, wink, and a nod, nod from Putin in order to operate with complete, uh, you know, in a completely permissive environment in in Syria, and so here's the United States on Ukraine trying to destroy the relations, not not intentionally, but that's the effect destroy relations between between Russia and Israel, which is going to which is going to put Israel in a very difficult position in in Syria. Um, uh, and so what 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 uh, what Bennett came up with is, ah, I'll become a mediator. And that way I'll go and I'll, I'll go and I'll reassure Putin that I that I'm not hostile to him. I'm just in a difficult situation. And I'll go to the Americans and say, I'm trying to help them on Ukraine. It's his way of, of squaring that circle. That American policy has it's, it's of, of managing the dilemma that American policy has put him in. I, I mean, it didn't work really, did it? Because they're absolutely adamant about well, they're in a, they're policy, in a they're, you know? the, the Israelis are in a pickle. They're in a horrible pickle. Because it's not that the Americans take seriously their own talking points. They know that they're lying, you know, and, no, and they, therefore no, they're, they're not going to be they're, moved by proof to the contrary. Exactly. It's like, yeah, talking to the Americans about these subjects. By the way, an, an Israeli uh, uh, former senior diplomat who left service only recently uh, uh, told me something. It was actually very upsetting for me as an American to hear that our conversations, the Israeli conversations with the Americans uh, uh, in Syria and about Syria are, are less reliable and trustworthy than our conversations with the Russians. So when we talk, you know, when we talk to the Russians about what's going on, we can cut a deal with them. They say, they say X, Y, and Z is happening. We can rely on it when they say something is happening. When, when talking to the Americans, it's all just fantasy land. Well, that's because the Americans themselves don't take serious seriously. I mean, the Russians take serious seriously. They that's their ticket. They just came back to the Middle East after since for the first time since 1982, and they are becoming very powerful. They're becoming powerful in in Egypt. You know, they're they're likely to become powerful in the Suez Canal again. You know, they're they're, they're very serious. The Americans are fundamentally unserious. I mean, we saw this with Trump saying, "Oh, we're done." We saw it, of course, with Obama for eight years of ignoring a genocide and enabling, opening the door for Russia to go back in and siding effectively with, with Iran and Hezbollah in his fake war against ISIS and you know any, any number of other things that he did. But I mean, the Americans are not serious about, about advancing their national interests in Syria in a significant way. You know, and the Russians. Yeah, are. true, true. But they, but the the Americans are serious. So maybe this is a, like a, maybe this is a better way to put it. Everything we've been talking about, the Americans are very serious about one thing. And I said the Biden administration, they are serious about downgrading Israel and downgrading Saudi Arabia, and they don't want to talk about it. 
They don't want to have the conversation. They they have already they made the decision before they ever came into power. We are downgrading Israel in our strategic calculations. And so they they throw out a lot of nonsense, right? To 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 the Israelis, which nonsense that has nothing to do with reality, actually, but it's nonsense that they can defend domestically. As you know, they can it shows their good intentions before American voters. We love Israel. We don't want a nuclear. Don't want there to be a nuclear weapon. Oh, we're against Russia and uh, um, and 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 so on. And they force the Israelis to live in this miasma of fiction that they have created, so they can sell their own policies at home. So you said that there were three uh, countries that are major players in the Middle East that are that would that accept the U.S. security infrastructure in the Middle East, that that's Saudi Arabia and Israel and then Turkey. So when this when this show is broadcast on Thursday night, uh, Friday morning, Israel time uh, broadcast, meaning it goes online, um, Israel's president uh, Yitzhak uh, Bougie Herzog will have come back from a trip to Turkey where he is meeting with Turkish President Erdogan. And and before I let you explain, because Mike Duran is an outspoken advocate of better ties between Turkey and and Israel, I want, you know, and and I, I don't know what to think of it because one of the things that you said when you said let's do the division differently, not Sunnis versus Shiites or this versus that, and all of the all of the bifurcations, all the dichotomies that we we've always heard, you know, Middle East experts tell us about. The Saudis were in fact acting as America's enemy on 9-11 when they had these people who were allied with the regime, who were attached to the regime, attached to the, the, the ambassador to the United States and his wife, and had you know legion ties with the Saudi uh, regime that were engaged in this act of war against the United States. You have um you you have uh, you know you have uh, um Turkey, led by Erdogan, who sees himself as as a new Ottoman uh, emperor who uh, wants to lead the Muslim Brotherhood, who nearly went to war with Israel over the Mavi Marmara in in 2011, which was an an event, it was an act of war that he engaged in against Israel by trying to end Israel's lawful maritime blockade of the Gaza coastline when Gaza is controlled by an illegal terrorist organization. I mean, this is, you know, this was this was an act of war, um, and you know, so you look at him, you look at the Saudis before the Arab Spring, and you see that you know, even though they accept the American um, strategic architecture or leadership of the Middle East or whatever you want to call it, the strategic umbrella of the Middle East, they are acting in manners that are extremely hostile. To the United States or to uh, Israel, and it, it's very difficult to know how to look at at outreach by Erdogan towards Bougie Herzog. And let's not forget that this all sort of was born after Turkish authorities took two Israeli tourists, guileless Israeli tourists, uh, hostage. Uh, and claiming that they had been spying, which was utterly ab- absurd. You know, a, a bus drivers, you know, a husband and wife, uh, 
who drive public buses, we're taking a picture, we're taking selfies with a, with a major national landmark in the background, and they were accused of spying. It was stupid. It was obviously trumped up, and they were hostages. And so, you know, it's very difficult for Israelis to look at Erdogan's outreach to Herzog and not be deeply concerned on the other hand. And, and this is the end of my long, long intro, introduction, and I want you to just explain your view here. On the other hand, Israel is in big trouble with the, with the US uh, administration. And I'm wondering, you know, what sort of thing could we do with Turkey against Iran to waylay the Biden administration? Would they be interested? Why would they be interested? And, and how are we supposed to look at this? Because Turkey is interested in doing something with Israel. I don't understand what it is, and I don't understand what its potential is. Maybe you can give us some idea in light of the ideological hostility that Erdogan has has demonstrated for 20 years towards Israel. Uh, you know, you know what I'm thinking. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm listening to this. This is this is a topic that is really near and dear to my heart. Um, and may, maybe we should talk think about treating it in um, in some detail at uh, at a later date after Herzog and. Uh, and Erdogan meet. I, I, I'd just like to make one point for your listeners, if I may. Uh, and that is that Israel and Turkey, when with respect to the American realignment to Iran, are kind of are victims of the same policy. Now they haven't reacted to it in the same way uh, at all, but but the but they're in a very analogous situation. And part of what I would want is the Israelis and the Turks to understand that they're in an analogous situation, because I don't think either side does, because they have begun, both of them see the relationship through the prism of their own bilateral relations, and not the not through the prism of their relations with the, or, or let's say the Israelis especially see it through the prism of their bilateral relations. I think the Turks are more inclined to understand the American role in in and how uh, uh, the uh, Turkish-Israeli relations have deteriorated. But let me just, I'm talking in abstract terms. Let me give you a, a specific here. Back in 2015, when the, uh, when the Russian-Iranian buildup in, in Syria began in earnest, Erdogan was against it, strongly against it. And he was against the Assad regime. And you remember Erdogan shot down, not Erdogan, the, the, the Turks, shot down a Russian fighter jet, and the Americans didn't, didn't come in behind them, right? That's the, that's the origins of, of Erdogan going and getting the S-400 um, uh, uh, air defense system from the Russians, is that he didn't get the support from the Americans when he was in conflict with the, with the Russians. But the Americans did something else that's much more nefarious. And that is Obama, when, when, the ISIS, when ISIS grew up, it took Mosul and then was and and moved, first moved to Syria, set up a shop in Raqqa, and then went and took and took Mosul. This was a big blow to Obama because Obama's idea about getting out of Iraq in 2010, 2011 was to cut a deal with the Iranians. Obama knew, Obama knew all of Obama's advisors told him that when we, if the Americans pull out precipitously from Iraq, the Iranians are going to move in. He thought that was okay because he buys the realignment notion that we have the same the same interests with the Iranians and we can cut a deal with them. 
the Iranians came in and they, they set up a radical Shiite government that, that attacked Sunnis. That created a vacuum in the Sunni areas in the north. And that's where uh, ISIS, uh, uh, ISIS came to power. And then so, so ISIS suddenly has this, this, um, uh, uh, this, this uh, state you know, from Mosul over to Raqqa in Syria. At, at a certain point, um, Obama has to take military action against it. He has to for domestic reasons. This is a complete disaster for him because he thought that he was going to stabilize the Middle East without American military, without, without boots on the ground. So Obama turns to his advisors and says, how do I kill ISIS without getting into any kind of conflict with Assad? Why can't I? I why, why do I not want to get into a fight with Assad? Because I want the Iran nuclear deal. That's my number one. That's the key that's going to stabilize everything is this new relationship with Iran. Assad is Iran's ally. Iran is helping. Iran and Russia are helping destroy all of the opposition. Turkey's on the other side. I can't work with Turkey against ISIS because, because Turkey is against Assad. I don't want to alienate Assad. Who can I work with? The PKK is what his team said. Brett McGurk. Brett, pallets of cash to the Iranians. McGurk, who's now running... Uh, Biden's foreign policy, he brokered the relationship between the United States and the, and the PKK. And so the United States built up a PKK statement, which it calls the YPG, which it calls the Syrian Democratic Forces, right? Never fooling the Turks. This is the equivalent. This is the equivalent of the United States going into Jordan and building up a Hamas statelet inside Jordan. And when the Israelis turn to, to, turn to Washington and say, you know, this has really, really adverse implications for our national security. The United States says, sit down and shut up. Because that's what they told the Turks. They said, you're not, you, you, you are, you, you are, uh, uh, you are an, um, an illegitimate uh, partner for the United States against ISIS. Our only possible partner is the PKK. Which is that the, the Turks is, would have would have fought ISIS. I mean, ISIS was using Turkish territory as a logistical base in in Totally would have. They, they have. Why? Fought, they have fought. They have fought ISIS. They have fought ISIS. This whole notion that Turkey is a is surreptitiously supporting ISIS. It's not true. There was a period. You remember when? Do you remember when Barack Obama said ISIS? Is they were the all JV mobilizing team? it. They were all mobilizing. They were all coming into you, Syria through Turkey. They were all coming re- into re- Turkey yeah. and going into Syria over land. Because because the because the because the focus for the Turks is the PKK. That that is the issue you have to solve. Is the is the is is the PKK. So they were. As long as the, as long as the as long as there's this PKK problem there, and the United States was not helping it, Turkey turned a blind eye. Now that, by the way, that permissive uh, uh, period of turning a blind eye lasted for a relatively short period of time. The, I was I was going to say, you remember when Obama said that ISIS is the JV team, right? Right. We don't have to worry about it. That's the same time the Turks were turning a blind eye. The ISIS has carried out um, I don't know how many. Terrorist attacks inside Turkey killed Turks. The Turks have gone to the Turks have fought against uh, against ISIS. They have no problem doing it. But their number one, just like Israelis, would always be focused on Hamas, right? The Turks are always focused on the PKK, and the United States is building up the PKK to this day. Is building well, here, up a PKK me, state. Let me but, 
Let me just interject for a second, because you're right, this is a huge issue, and maybe we should have a uh, another podcast I, to talk let about me just, it. But let me so ask let, you, let, what, let me, before you tell me, I just want to add one more thing to make your life difficult, because it's, I, I don't, you're saying that the United States is treating Turkey the way that it's treating Israel, then why did it essentially totally. say to Israel, not essentially, said to Israel, we don't support a gas pipeline through uh, from Cyprus through Greece to Europe. I mean, from Israel, Cyprus, Greece, Europe. We we and and it, I mean, the people who were most opposed to that pipeline were the Turks. So that this was a pro-Turkish position that the that the Biden administration took against Israel uh, and against Greece and Cyprus. And you know, well, the, when, the when, obvious when, answer when is when to they, go through is to go through Greece. I mean, to go through Turkey, right? Yeah, wait, hold on. You 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 lost me a little bit because you say that the what when the Americans withdrew their support for the pipeline to Greece, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that this was a pro-Turkish position. Um, well, they sold it. Uh, um, they sold it as a uh, 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 as a as a as a green initiative because yeah, but this is a pro-Turkish. I mean, the the gas will it, flow. It, 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 you know. It's objectively, it's objectively pro-Turkish. Whether the whether the Biden whether the Biden team actually had a rapprochement with Turkey in their mind, I doubt it. I hope they did. Uh, it's the best thing that it's the best thing that they've done. Uh, it's the it's the only time I saw a green energy decision that I thought was fantastic because that pipeline from Cyprus to Greece to Europe was never going to happen. Never ever going to happen. There's no companies commercially non-viable. There was no company that was ever going to do it. The Israelis were trapped in it because they had because they had made it part of their public diplomacy against the Turks and in favor of the Greeks. Uh, and so if the Israelis had pulled out of it on their on their own, it would have upset the Greeks um, uh, and the and and the uh, and the Cypriots, even though it was never going to happen. It was a fantasy, uh, a fantasy program. By the way, Greece has a pipeline with Turkey. It's called the Southern Gas Corridor. It goes from Azerbaijan to Puglia in Italy. And the Greeks and the Turks cooperate on it. And it's always driven me crazy when talking to Israelis when I say, why don't you cut, the cut a gas deal with the Turks, take your gas up through Cyprus. You can take it through Cyprus to Turkey. And, uh, and you can be part of the brokers of the deal with, with, uh, with, with Cyprus. So Cyprus will get a cut as well. Um, uh, do that. That will create a basis for more cooperation between Turkey and Israel, it'll bring additional gas, uh, uh, I guess, additional gas to Europe. Now, historically, the Israelis would tell me, oh, we can't annoy the, the Greeks with that. But why, why do Israelis have to be more Greek than the Greeks? The Greeks can, get, can cut a gas deal with the Turks, but the Israelis can't because the, because the, because the Israelis like Greece. Doesn't make any sense. And, it was, and as I said, it wasn't going to happen anyway. The Israeli gas to Turkey is completely viable. It's strategic. It creates a common uh, a, a, a set of common interests between Turkey and Israel. If the if, if Israel has dis, you know has uh, doubts about uh, about Turkey, it can cut the deal with the Azerbaijanis. That's an Azerbaijani initiative. The pipeline, okay. the Southern we, Gas Corridor. We, we have we have to we have to cut it off. But I I want you to answer one more question. If if. Uh... If there's a rapprochement this week, and we'll see, I mean, we're not going to find out this week, it'll take time. I don't think that we have a government that is uh, competent to do anything about it in a strategic way, because I don't think that they understand what, what strategy is. I think they think that a strategist is a political consultant. Um, but 
um, what would, assuming that Erdogan stays in power, what could Israel do with Turkey? I mean, what, what could we do with Turkey? With Erdogan in charge against against Iran, what well, what would that the, look like? So, uh, uh, first of all, the Turks. And I are promise, guys, we're going to have a much more in depth in depth conversation about Israeli Turkey ties with with Mike Duran in the future, if you'll agree to come. I'd love to. There's mm -hmm. nothing. I, I'd I'd love to talk about every angle of this thing. Okay. But 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 let's remember that during the Cold War. And I will not get back to that. We won't get back to this, but let's no. remember. But the, but, this, but but the basic relationships, the basic structure is still there. During the Cold War, Syria was with, with the Soviet Union and Israel and Turkey were with the United States. And they cooperated together to contain Russia in Syria and to contain the, 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 the Syrians. Something similar is happening now. The rise, the uh, the Turks do not have the same attitude toward the Iranians as the um, as the Israelis. They are not as hostile, but there are two kind of principles you can work with. One is wherever the Turks are, the Iranians are not. They're not. They're contrary to what a lot of people have said. They're not natural allies. You mentioned the you, you, you what you didn't mention in recent uh, Israeli Turkish relations is that they meet the the. The Turkish National Intelligence Organization rounded up a, uh, a, a, a very large Iranian assassination operation that was going to assassinate um, an Israeli Turkish businessman. Uh, and they worked together with the Mossad to foil it in the, uh, uh, in the end. That's one of many Iranian um, operations that the Turks have rolled up recently, including another one I know about that, in, uh, that has not been made public. That involved a uh, that involved uh, um, a uh, a Jewish target. I don't. I'm not sure it was an Israeli target. Um, but again, the the uh, the uh, the Turks made all of this known to the um, uh, to the Mossad. So the 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 Turks are seeing uh, as Iran gets stronger, thanks to the American policy, they're seeing a bigger role between a bigger uh, a larger. Uh, um, much more extensive cooperation between uh, Iran and the PKK. They're seeing a bigger role for uh, uh, Iranian-backed terror organizations in Iraq that are working against uh, Turkish interests. Iran, so the two principles with the Turkey and Iran are, one, wherever the Turks are, the Iranians aren't. And number two, Turks like their Iranians weak and pliant. They don't like a big, uh, they don't like a strong, muscular, uh, 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 muscular Iran. So there is room, there is room for cooperation between the Israelis and the and the Turks on the Iran front. How much room needs to be investigated? It needs to be investigated. The Turks will not be discomfited by any sabotage operations the Israelis carry out in Tehran. Doesn't bother them in the least. They won't facilitate. I would suspect. Who knows? We could, you know, stranger things have happened. They could possibly facilitate. They probably won't. But they're not going to get in the way of it, uh, uh, and they're not going to be hostile to Israel because of it. So there's a there are areas where there's where there's shared interest. There's areas where there is um, where the where there's a, Turks will send a blind eye, and the Turks are a natural counterweight to the Iranians. There's no power in the Middle East that scares the Iranians more than the Turks. And I'll leave you with this: the reason for that is why. Do you know why the reason is that? Is? 
for, let me play professor and ask you, why are the Iranians so scared of the Turks? Well, Mr. Professor, why would you say that the Iranians are so I'm so glad, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Well, <laughs> well, Carolyn, that's a great question because one third of the Iranian population is ethnically Azerbaijani. And so what do we have right on the Northern border of Iran? We have Azerbaijan, which is an ally simultaneously of Turkey and of Israel. And when the, uh, and that, the rise of Azerbaijan has created a lot of excitement among ethnic Azerbaijanis inside Iran, and it scares the Iranians to death. Pre uh, President Erdogan went at the end of the, in the uh, to, uh, a month after the victory of the Azerbaijanis over the Armenians in the Second Karabakh War, he went to Baku and he read a poem from the podium lamenting the division of the Azerbaijanis by the Aras River, which is that just, it's just a, a folk lament. Right, and it created a, a, a major scandal, a major uh, a major uproar in uh, in Iran because they fear that the that the Turks are going to try to crack up Iran through that Azerbaijani population. Now the Turks have no intention of doing that uh, at all. But as as but you know as the po the playful poem by Erdogan showed, he knows very well that he has that card if you if you if he wants to play it. And so they are just a natural counterbalance to the Iranians that works to the advantage of Israel. And Israel's relationship with, with Azerbaijan is going to become more valuable as the United States builds up, uh, uh, builds up Iran. All right. Well, I think we're, we're definitely going to have to leave it at that. And we're definitely going to have to revisit this subject after uh, Herzog's visit and after we see where things are going. Uh, as we say in Hebrew, you know, we, we should all, you know, God bless the believers, but, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. Uh, Erdogan has, has, a, has a track record um, and it cannot be overlooked in our. He has know. a, he has a, he has a, he, you know, let me ask you something. Is, is Bibi Netanyahu a settler? I mean, it depends on how you define it. I, for, for people who don't think that Israel has a right to exist, the answer is clearly yes. How about for the settlers? Um, no, he doesn't live in Judea and Samaria, and he doesn't live in uh, unified Jerusalem, and he doesn't live and in Golan Heights, and you know, he lives within he Israel's 1949 armistice lines. Does he support them in his heart? Is that, does he wake up every morning and think how to make the settlers stronger? Thank you. He thinks about how to make Israel stronger, and I think that he thinks that the that the communities in Judea and Samaria, like the one that I'm sitting in right now, my home in Ephrat, I think that he thinks that it's very important to to strengthen them in order to maintain Israel as a secure country in our borders. Yeah. But the, but the but the but the settlers have real mixed feelings about him, wouldn't you say? Well, we have some really stupid leaders in the settlements here, just as we do everywhere else in Israel. So what, I, what's I, your point? I, I, what's I, your point? We're my, out of time, man. My, what's my, going my on? point. My my point. My point is that er, er, Erdogan is a is a Muslim brother the way that uh, the Bibi is a settler. He's a very good politician. He has a track record. He has a track You're going to have record. to think of a different analogy because if that's the case, I'll give you no, then we I'll give, have no, a really no, good reason not to trust him. No. Yeah, you didn't you didn't give me the answer. I was expecting, you know, sometimes I was expecting hardline Carolyn Glick to tell me that 
no, Netanyahu is not, can't be trusted on this issue. But no, you didn't. You haven't been reading me for the past couple of years, I guess. No, well, I was Busted, busted, busted. Anyway, all right. Okay, listen, I thank you very much for joining me, Mike. And I thank you all for joining us in this conversation. I think that the main take home lesson is that you know you can't reason anybody out of something that they haven't been reasoned into. The Biden administration has made decisions that are not based on facts. They are not based on information. They are not based on any evidence. To the contrary, they stand in, con in contrast to evidence and information and fact. And that is why they are doing what they are doing. And therefore, Israel is not well served by a government that thinks that they have to prove their good intention to the Obama administration, to the Biden administration, the Obama Biden administration, because the Biden Obama administration does not care. That's not their point. And you know, Israel has to look around and see how we manage in this environment based on an understanding that the Biden administration doesn't care about reality. So they care about ideology. And um, so on that happy, 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 happy note. Uh, we will see you again next week. Thank you very much. Remember, subscribe and and share and all those good things. And we will. See I, I'll you give you. Can I can I end on a happier note? Yes, please. Because I mean, I just you know, want everybody to subscribe so we can jack up the rating uh, on this show. You know? uh, uh, so here's what I always remember is the is the check arms what was called the check arms deal in uh, back in 56 you know that when the soviets delivered to the egyptians a quantity and quality of arms that was an existential threat to israel that's the closest thing that we have and the, and the americans were supporting the egyptians then like they support the iranians now from the same kind of dumb ideas uh, the, the, the same structure of stupid ideas about you know making friends with our enemies uh, and um, Israel showed opposition to this deal and friends came out of the woodwork from surprising places you know the the strategic relationship between Israel and the French dates from that moment there's a lot now I'm hoping it will be Turkey and Israel I'm hoping I, I, I recognize there are lots of impediments it may not happen but I'm telling you there are a lot of characters out there, states out there that are deeply discomforted by what the United States is doing with Iran. And if the Israelis will just hang out their shingle, be a little bit louder about how hostile they are to it and take some action to show how hostile they are to it, friends are gonna come to it. I agree. If you, if you build it, they, they will, will come. come. If you build it, they will come, exactly. I believe that that is true. And the thing that I find very discouraging is I don't think that this government has it in it to build it, but it must. This is, build it, it yeah, must. Yeah. Build it, it yeah, must. We got to go, Mike. You know, people are going to start throwing things at their computer screens. They're going to be computers blowing up all over the place because this they're is enjoying it. You, you they're, know? they're enjoying it. They're enjoying <laughs> it. They're subscribing. They're subscribing ah, right now. All right. Okay. Well, take care and we'll see you soon. And I appreciate it very much.